we're going to read from Philemon, and we're going to read the first whole chapter. Paul, a prisoner of Christ, of, of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Apipha, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the heart, hearts of, law, of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man now, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become both useful to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me as a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Good morning. It's a great joy and privilege for me to be here at CBF. Uh, I've been here many times, and uh, it's the first time I'm speaking, but uh, I, I so enjoy worshiping the Lord with you. And I'd like to thank the elders and just everyone here who gave me this invitation to share from God's Word. Uh, before I begin the message, I want to put in a quick plug for a seminar that Bangalore Bible Church will be hosting uh, this coming Friday, uh, 11th and 12th. It's on gospel-centered hermeneutics. It's called uh, Secrets of the Kingdom. And Richard Show, 
who is a dear friend of mine and also Binoy Abraham, who you all know very well. He's coming in from Redeemer Church of Dubai uh, this Wednesday, but he'll be hosting the seminar. What it is is it's a six-session seminar where they t- go through the Gospel of Mark. And they choose six passages through the, bo- the book, and they teach you how to study the Bible for yourself in a way that not, not only do you do the interpretation, observation, and application, but also find legitimate connections to the gospel. And this will be a great benefit and investment for you in your own spiritual lives as you, uh, as you learn to study the word for yourself in a way that is truly enriching and uh, beneficial. So uh, I think uh, of the 80 people or so that have signed up already, the biggest block of uh, people have come from CBF. So I'm very excited about that. And uh, so if there's anyone who has not yet signed up or is still interested, uh, contact me or just uh, anyone in your church, I'm sure, you'll run into someone who does know what's, uh, what's going on. So, Okay, so um, Barney just read the passage, Philemon. And uh, <clears throat> Philemon was a letter written by Paul, the Apostle Paul. Now today, when we want to send in a letter, we use email, and that takes a, a fraction of a second. When I was growing up, we had two ways to write a letter. There was the inland, which took up to two days, and then there was an aerogram if you wanted to send it to the United States or a place like that. But in those days, if you wanted to send a letter, it, it used to take many, many weeks, and it was not always a sure thing. Kind of like the Indian Postal Service today, you don't know if you're a letter would get there or not. What you would do is you would tell a friend, hey, who was going to, say, Rome, and say, hey, you're going to Rome. I have a, uh, I have a friend. I need, need a letter to do, be delivered. And so you'd give it to your friend, and your friend would... Um, he said, well, I'm not going all the way to Rome. I'm just going all the way to Ephesus. He said, okay. And when he would reach Ephesus, he would give it to another guy who was going to Rome and say, hey, can you give this to this guy? And then, So we would pass multiple hands by the time it reached... Uh, before it reached its intended destination. And so you can imagine how complicated that whole process would have been. But yet, by the grace and uh, providence of God, this letter reached its intended audience, uh, and it was written from Paul uh, to uh, his friend Philemon. Now, a little bit about Philemon. He was, uh, he was probably a businessman or a landowner. We know that he was rich because the church met in his home and he had slaves. And um, what uh, he lived in the city of Colossae, which was uh, nearby the city of Ephesus. And so uh, he would travel most likely often to Ephesus. And that's where he most likely met the Apostle Paul, who was there for three years. And it was during that time that Paul uh, got to share the gospel with Philemon. And Philemon, Philemon repented and believed in the gospel and became a Christian. And on his return to Colossae, he, started, uh, he was one of the first members of the church there. And the church used to meet in his home, and he used to have a lot of slaves. And one of the slaves was Onesimus, who is one of the principal characters in this letter. Now, Onesimus didn't like being a slave. He felt it was somehow beneath him, and he was looking for opportunities to escape from the shackles of his slavery. And so one day, under the cover of darkness, most likely, he escaped from his slave quarters. But before leaving, he uh, broke into his master's quarters and stole as much as could be stolen and carried away under the cover of night. And he escaped to Rome. 
And in Rome, uh, we don't know what he did or how he spent his time, but uh, we can assume that he enjoyed it on the pleasures of wine, women, or anything else. But we know at some point that he met the Apostle Paul. We don't know how he did, how he did come to, to meet the Apostle Paul, but we do know that they did meet. And it's very interesting that the same gospel that Paul used on Philemon is the same gospel that he used on Onesimus. Because that's what the gospel is. It saves all kinds of people. It saves um, the educated doctor in New York. It saves the illiterate bushman in the Kalahari. It saves the housewife in Bangalore. And it saves the mason in China. It saves all kinds of people. And it saved Onesimus and it saved Philemon. And we know that God reached down into Rome and he came and got Onesimus and he brought him to himself. And he did that by bringing him to the Apostle Paul. Sometimes when we think that the times when we're most furthest away from God is when he's actually very near to us. And so Onesimus trusts in the gospel, believes, and he becomes a Christian. And then uh, maybe Paul said um, one day once they got to know each other, well, hey, Onesimus, where are you from? Oh, um, Paul, uh, I'm actually from a place called Colossae. You're from Colossae? Oh, that's great. I have, a, I have a really dear friend over there, Philemon. When you go back uh, to Colossae, you should, you should really meet him. Oh, um, yeah, I, I, know, I know Philemon pretty well. Oh, really? How do you know him? Then he explains the whole story of what happened and how he came here. And he said, I can't go back because, you know, the, the punishment for, uh, for a slave that escapes his uh, chains is crucifixion, death by crucifixion. Paul says, don't worry, I'm going to write you a letter. You take this letter and you go back. And so it's about a two-week journey from Rome to Colossae. And I can imagine um, Philemon just sitting on his porch early morning reading the newspaper about how the Colossae super kings beated the Ephesus, Knight Riders. <laughs> and then he looks, looks down in the corner of his estate and then he sees a figure approaching. And he said, who is that? It looks familiar. Could that be Onesimus? No, no. Onesimus would never come here. He wouldn't have the guts to come back after everything he's done. And he goes back to reading his paper. And he pulls it down again, and then he says, no, I think it is Onesimus. And then all those old feelings come back. And then he gets up, and he's about to say something. And then Onesimus immediately pulls out the scroll and says, sir, 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 please, just read this. Read this letter. So with one hand on the letter, another eye on Onesimus, he begins to read. He says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. You know Paul? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Please read. A prisoner for Christ. Is, he, is Paul in jail again, Onesimus? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Please read. And then he continues reading. And then he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he thanks God for, for Philemon. 
He says, I thank God when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love that you have towards the saints. And then he goes on, and while Philemon is probably reading this letter, he's thinking, yeah, this is all great, but I'm sure Paul doesn't know what you did, Onesimus. But then he comes down to verse 18. Verse 18, he says, If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Oh, I guess he did tell you. You know, one, one of the reasons why I believe this, this letter was included in the canon is because this letter is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. It's a beautiful picture of what Christ did for us on our behalf. We too, like Onesimus, we owed God a great debt, a great debt that we could not pay. But by his death on the cross, we stand fully and freely forgiven. There's a a very famous story of um, Nicholas the Great, who was the emperor of Russia. And uh, Nicholas the Great uh, had a habit of dressing up in costume and impersonating different people, so uh, people would not recognize him. And there was one instance where he goes to a far corner of his empire, a, an outpost, a military outpost, to visit his soldiers and to see what's going on. So he dressed up as a captain of the army. And he goes uh, to, to see what's going on there. And he didn't know that one of his best friend's son was stationed in that particular outpost. Now this man was a very close family friend of Nicholas, but he was also addicted to gambling. And so uh, he used some of his money, and and he lost it all in gambling. And so then he thought, well, I have to pay this money back, so let me just borrow some of the company funds, the uh, the army funds, and I'll win it back, and then I'll, I'll pay back the army. So he just took a little bit, but then he lost it. Then he borrowed some more, and then he lost that again. And he kept borrowing, 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 and then... He just kept getting further and further into debt with the government's money, with the army's money. And at one point, he knew that, the, that he's going to get caught. And he knew that there was no escape. The debt was so big that he could not pay. And so, um, one, night, so one day he said, okay, that's it. I'm going to kill myself. There's no way to escape from this. I'm bringing dishonor to my family. And so he resolved to take his own life. And so he drank, um, he was, the day he was planning to kill himself, he drank a whole bottle of vodka and um, he, wrote, he wrote down on a piece of paper on his desk in his tent the, the amount that he owed. And then he said it was, it, was so, it was such a huge number. And then right underneath he just wrote, such a great debt, who can repay? And then he just drank himself. And then he passed out. And he had his revolver with him. And he had resolved to kill himself when the clock struck 12. And it happened to be on that particular night that Nicholas was, had visited, had reached the camp. And he saw all the, lights, uh, all the lights had been turned off at night, but except one. And so he said, let me go see who's in this, in this tent. And so he goes in and he sees this uh, young man passed out. 
uh, on his chair, and then on his desk he sees a paper, and he sees a revolver and the empty bottle of liquor. So it didn't take long for Nicholas to figure out what was really going on. He saw the, the revolver, he saw the amount written on the paper, and he saw, um, he saw him passed out. And so, but then he looked closely at this man, this young man, and he said, wait, I know this man. This is, this is my best friend's son. And so um, he took off a signet ring, and then he wrote something on the paper, and then he sealed it with his own ring, and he left the room. And then Nicholas, this, this young man, wakes up. He realizes, oh, it's past midnight. And so then he realizes, he takes the revolver, and he's, he puts it to his temple, about to uh, blow his brains out. And then he just notices that there's something written on the paper that wasn't written there before. And then he looks closely, and he sees that the place where it said, um, such a great debt, who can repay? It was one word. Nicholas, and the emperor's signet ring. That's when he realized that the emperor himself had taken his debt and paid for it. So he crawled back into his bed, and he slept like a baby. We also owed God a great debt that we could not repay. But God, through his death on the cross, through Jesus, we stand forgiven fully and forever. If there's anyone in this room who isn't a Christian, I want to tell you that you and I, we, both owe, we all owed God a life of perfection. But we've rebelled against our holy and righteous creator, our holy judge. Therefore, we've incurred God's just punishment against sin, which is eternal punishment, and torment in hell. And this is our debt. But Christ took our punishment when he hung on the cross and God's full wrath against sin was poured out on him. And if you believe that Jesus took your punishment and and if you repent of your sin, then in that moment, Jesus takes your debt and he charges it to his account. He has repaid our debt, but only if you respond in faith and repentance. For believers, for those of you who are Christians, well, the gospel is the reason why we're here this morning, as, as many of you shared through, our, um, through the sharing before the Lord's Supper. But the fact that Jesus paid our debt should always produce joy and gratitude. Our lives, not just our Sundays, but our entire lives should be centered around this truth. Has the gospel become boring to you? Do you feel like... When you hear the gospel, you, you need to move on to deeper truths, more powerful, more esoteric information that only is revealed to the hidden few. Friends, our whole lives is to be spent in getting a deeper knowledge of the gospel and how we can apply this to every area of our life. Um, I just moved into my new house uh, a few, uh, two weeks back. And I've been trying to get ACT broadband installed. And uh, so the guy came and he said, okay, it'll be done tomorrow. And then uh, he didn't come uh, the next day. And then I said, okay, how about tomorrow? 
okay. Then, then every day he says, I'll be coming tomorrow. And he, he always promised me, sir, 100%, without fail, guaranteed, promise you. Believe me, sir, I will be there. And of course, inevitably, the next day, he's not there. And then I get angrier and angrier. And by the second week, and I feel bad because I paid for the whole year in advance. Um, actually, Titus paid for it. But, yeah. uh, but I'm getting more and more angry at this person for constantly lying to me. And um, one, I think a few days ago, a couple of days ago, I was, I was thinking really violent thoughts. Like, I thought, I will take this engineer and I'll physically manhandle him. Okay? Because I was so angry. You know, you know why? Because at that moment, I had failed to apply the gospel in my life. I say, if God has been so generous to me, um, how, how can I not show grace to this person? And uh, it, was, it was just a... It was a powerful reminder that we can and we should apply the gospel to each and every area of our life. Um, what about when someone cuts you off in traffic? You, we want to take revenge, right? When, when, a, when a good friend of yours betrays your trust, what do you want to do? You want to get back at that person. When a colleague cheats you at work and tries to take credit for something that you did, we want to get back at that person. When your spouse sins against you, and if you've been married long enough, they have. What do you want to do? You want to, get your, you want to make sure that they know that not to do that in the future. You want to teach them a lesson, right? We all want to take revenge. We feel vindicated when we pay back people for what they've done to us. But that's the complete opposite of the picture of the gospel. That's why the way to live out this gospel in our lives is the way we have been shown grace, we must show grace to others. Revenge is not the answer. Grace is the answer. The gospel is the answer. So back to Philemon. Philemon is still reading the letter and he says, Okay, I see, Paul, I see Onesimus that Paul knows about your situation. And he said, If he owes you anything at all, charge it to my account. Okay, um, Onesimus... Since Paul says, forgive you, he's an apostle, I have to forgive you. Okay, why don't you go back to your slave quarters, and uh, from tomorrow onwards, you can start doing your normal slave work. Then Philemon's wife came and says, wait, wait, wait a minute, you forgot to read verse 17. He said, what is that? He says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. His wife said, well, husband, would you put Paul in the slave quarters? Well, obviously not. Well, then, we have to receive Anisimus as just as we would receive Paul. And, and so, uh, maybe uh, Afia takes Onesimus over and says, okay, I guess we'd like you to stay in our master bedroom. The best room in the house, because that's where we would keep Paul. And I can't believe I'm going to ask this in Isthmus, but what would you like for dinner? The gospel does not end with us being forgiven sinners, just merely forgiven sinners, as wonderful as that is. No, it ends 
with us being adopted into the family of God. Uh, Miriam and I, my wife Miriam and I, we had an arranged marriage about 11 years ago. And uh, uh, when we got married, I didn't know much about Miriam, but, and I didn't know much about her parents either. But uh, we got married in Bangalore, but uh, she lived in Allahabad. So uh, a month after, we went to visit Allahabad in her home. And uh, so we took the train there, and uh, as soon as we reached the train station, her parents and her whole family, they came to the train station they, they, to welcome us, to, to receive us. They, they hugged us, they hugged me and Miriam, and then they took us to their house. And uh, they said, um, they, they told me, Benjamin, we have this, the best room in the house is for you and Miriam. We want you to stay here. As long as you're here, you can stay in this room. And then um, my mother-in-law told me that, you know, pointed to the fridge and said, Mone, if there's anything you want to eat, just go to the fridge, help yourself. If you want me to make anything for you, just let me know, and I'll, I'll, I'll make whatever you want me to make. I said, wow, this is great. And then, uh, then my father-in-law gave me a pair of keys, uh, and he said, okay, son, this is the keys to our car, and Levi, who's Miriam's brother, is, will be your driver. He will take you anywhere in the city, wherever you want, for as long as you're here. As long as you're here, this is your car, your fridge, your room, this is, it's all for you. I say, wow, this is amazing. I said, I didn't expect such kind of treatment. Well, I kind of did, but... <laughs> but just imagine that I was not married to Miriam. Imagine I did not have that relationship, and I show up at Miriam's house um, as a complete stranger. I knock on the door, and I say, and they open, and I say, I'm Benjamin George. Well, so what? Who cares? Yeah? But they're nice people. I'm sure they would still let me in and maybe even give me a cup of tea. But what if I took the, after drinking the tea, I go straight into their nice bedroom, that they, you know, the, the best room in the house, and I just start lying down on their bed. And then, after some time, I just open the fridge, start looking what's there, start eating anything. And then after some time, I just take the keys and say, hey, I'll just uh, go and come back. W- what would they do? Well, I know Miriam has three really strong brothers. I know what they would do to me, <laughs> yeah? But why, why, was, why did they treat me such, in such a way even though they didn't know me? It's because they love their daughter. Whatever they were willing to do for her, they were willing to do for me. The gospel does not end with us merely being forgiven sinners. As wonderful as that is, it ends with us being Part of the family. You know, if that's true, that means that we have responsibilities as members of this family. We represent the head of the family, Jesus Christ. And so our life should reflect how great Jesus is. And we don't want to bring shame to the name of Jesus. We also know that if we are part of the family, we know that the family is diverse. Yet, it is still one. And we are all equal with one another. 
Some are old, some are young, some are rich, some are poor, some are educated, and some are uneducated. Some are from this area, and some are from far parts of the world. But yet the gospel makes us one people, one family, and it breaks down the walls of separation between us, Ephesians 3. That's why a poor, uneducated person in the church should never feel inferior to a wealthy, educated person. A wealthy, educated person should never feel superior to a poor, uneducated person in the church because the gospel breaks down all those barriers. What about you? If you're not a Christian, we want to welcome you to the family. If Believe in the gospel and become part of this family. God has not given this church... God has given us the church so that we don't have to live this Christian life alone. We can live it alongside brothers and sisters as we live this Christian life. What about those of you who are Christians in this room? How do you look at members of CBF? Do you see them as family members? You know, you should be closer to your church member uh, than to your relatives who, who does not know Jesus. If your brother is not a Christian, but you're, then you should be closer to your just the normal average CBF member than you do to your own brother. Because we are part of the family of God. And even if when we die, we will spend eternity with one another and our church family forever. This also has implications in the way, in the way we live our lives. When you sin... When you willfully sin, at that moment, you are forgetting who you are. You forget that you're part of the family. Young men, when you look at pornography, at that moment, you forget that you are part of the family. You're living like you once did. You're not living according to your family identity and responsibilities. What about family time? If the church is your family, do you prioritize family time? Are a majority of your friends, are they from CBF or are they from work or are they from college? What do you do when you hang out with fellow CBF members? Do you only have fun and joke around or do you also engage in gospel-centered conversations? And do you also encourage one another in, our, in, your, in your faith? This is our responsibility as family members. So this is the gospel message from Philemon. God has taken our debt and put it on his account. But when we believe in the gospel, our debt is paid and we become members of God's family. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this powerful reminder of the gospel uh, through the story of Onesimus and Philemon. Father, we also owed you a great debt that we could not pay, yet you in your infinite love and mercy sent your son Jesus Christ, who took our punishment, who took our debt, and now we are, not only are we forgiven, we're part of the family. What a great joy and honor it is to be part of your family. We pray for CBF, that they would honor uh, and rejoice at this fact 
uh, not just on Sundays, but every day, that uh, they would take their responsibilities uh, as members of your family, as your local family here gathered together, very, very seriously. That this would be a beacon of very bright gospel proclamation in this city. And that many more people will come to know who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.